invite you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, then also Joshua chapter 14. I did think about uh, just going ahead and finishing Acts today as a favor to Jonathan, but I didn't know if he'd appreciate that so much, so, so I decided to do something different. The circumstances of life, relationships, health, finances, jobs, the state of the country, all these things. We come this morning all with various circumstances maybe weighing on our, on our minds and hearts. And so we talk in the Old Testament about the promised land today. The promised land was a place of circumstances a place of temptations, battles, dealing with a sin-sick world. It wasn't heaven by any means. But it was the place God had provided for Israel to live. And it's kind of like our lives. We have temptations, we have battles, we deal with a sin-sick world every day, don't we? Well, these circumstances, whether good or bad, can if we're not careful, affect our view of God negatively. If the things I see happening in my life I view as good, I might say, huh, things are going well. Maybe I don't really need God. The things in my life I see as bad, say, huh, is God good or or not? So the question is, do I trust God or not? Can I really trust his word or not? Does the Lord said really mean something to me? Is that enough for me? I remember when I pastored another church, a couple came to me one time with a circumstance. Someone had asked them, a friend of theirs had asked them to co-sign a loan for for her. And this person was not trustworthy, and so they didn't want to do it. And so they came to me and they said, what do we do? I said, man, this is easy. I thought, you couldn't tee it up any easier for me. I said, in Proverbs, it says more than once, it's not wise to co-sign for someone. It's not a good idea, so just tell her, don't do, you're not going to do it because of that. And they kind of hemmed and hawed, and sometimes you can tell when when somebody asks you something, they don't get the answer that they were really looking for. And that was the case here. And uh, they kind of hemmed and hawed and they kind of looked at me as like, that, that's all fine, that Bible stuff, but we need some, a really good reason not to co-sign this loan. And it was sad. God's word didn't really mean that much to them. Is the Lord said, enough for me? Can I trust what he has said or not? Seems like God's one question quiz is always, do you trust me? Do you trust me? No matter what's going on in life, it can all be boiled down to that. Do you trust me? If things are going the way I want, do I trust him? If things are not going the way I want, do I trust him? That's the... 
That's the question. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13 for a little background. Although this passage may be familiar to many, God had gotten the people out of Egypt and they headed to the promised land. And in Numbers 13, there they are, right on the brink of the promised land. And Moses sends the 12 spies out to scout out the land. If you look in verse 27, we're going to read a few verses of, of their report back to Moses and to the people. Verse 27 of Numbers 13 says, And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And if you'll skip down to verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the, then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. If you skip down to chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 6, it continues their report. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. We do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So it's clear to Joshua and Caleb. They say, we can do this. God is with us. We can do this. But the other ten spies do not agree. And so think about it. God sent ten plagues. Not one or two or even three, but ten plagues to get the people out of Egypt. Just to make it clear that he was the one who did it. And then they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And then he wipes out the entire Egyptian army. But now they're ready to go into the promised land, but they're too afraid. What happened was the people who lacked faith listened to the spies who lacked faith. And so they didn't go in. It reminded me of a Baptist business meeting. <laughs> they didn't trust what God said. They essentially believe those people in that land, they're bigger, stronger than God. How could this be? They were a forgetful people. They were a forgetful people. Aren't you glad we're not like that? If you look down in verse four, farther in, in chapter 14, we see God's judgment for this lack of faith, this lack of trust in him. Look down in verse 22. 
He says, none of the men who, who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who, who despised me shall see it. In verse 24, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Notice in verse 23, notice what, he, what God says about those people who did not believe, who did not trust in him. He says, they despised me. That's pretty serious. And because of their lack of faith, Joshua and Caleb are the only adult men that will ever see the promised land. And then God makes the promise to give land to Caleb. So now the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And we skip ahead to the book of Joshua. So if you want to flip on over to Joshua chapter 14. In the first few chapters of Joshua talks about them crossing into the land. The next few talk about them taking the land. And now in this passage, we're looking at the division of the land. They're dividing the land among the tribes of Israel. It had taken about five years to get to this point where they had taken the land and were able to start dividing it amongst the tribes. And in Joshua 14, we find this story about Caleb. But it's really a story about God and his goodness, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. And of course, by this time, don't forget, Joshua and Caleb are the oldest men among them right now. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 6 of chapter 14. This will be our main text for the day. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. 
So I want to look at this story in, in four sections briefly here. The first section is a recap. That's the first blank on your notes if you're keeping up. It's a recap, verses 6 through 9. Caleb just reminds Joshua of when the two of them had said that they could go in and take the promised land. And Moses and God made a promise to Caleb to give him some of that land. And this land allotment was a a reward for wholly following the Lord. And Caleb has every confidence that God's promise would now be fulfilled. So that's the recap. The next section is the recognition. Recognition, verses 10 and 11. Caleb recognizes that God has been faithful. God kept him alive through the wilderness. But that's not all. God kept him alive through the battles they fought in taking this land, this promised land. But that's not all. He says, God gave me strength. I'm as strong now as I was 45 years ago. How many of y'all can say that? And this wasn't good luck, it wasn't good fortune, it wasn't good genes, it wasn't a good workout regimen. This had nothing to do with Caleb, and he knows this. He knows that God did this. He says, I'm 85, but I'm a young 85. The third section is the request. In verse 12, Caleb makes his specific request. He wants the hill country where the Anakim or the giants live. These were the same giants that terrified the people 40-plus years ago. But with God's help, he'll drive them out. The final section of the story is the realization. The realization. Verses 13 through 15. Joshua grants Caleb's request and gives him Hebron. He says, it's yours. And we're told how that turns out. If you want to look in chapter 15 there, Verse 14 says, And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, and Ahimon, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Caleb did it. He drove out the Anakim, just as he said. So that's the story. Let's look at some application and just a bit of a disclaimer. These points kind of overlap, so don't be surprised. But I think the overarching point of this passage is that Mr. Next Blanks here, God is trustworthy, so we follow him wholeheartedly. God is trustworthy, so we follow him wholeheartedly. We see God's faithfulness and trustworthiness through this whole story for 40 plus years. And we see Caleb following wholeheartedly. Six times in scripture it's mentioned that he did this, that he followed wholeheartedly. God said it in Numbers 14. Moses says it in Numbers 32 and also in Deuteronomy 1. Joshua says it here in this passage we just read. And Caleb, of course, says it himself. What does it mean to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? What do we learn from Caleb about how we do that? Well, the first first point I want to look at is that we see that we have responsibility. We see that we have responsibility. We trust God, but we don't sit idly by and do nothing. There has to be a balance of faith and works. A couple of ways we see Caleb's balance of faith and works here. The first is humility. Humility. 
In verse 12, chapter 14, he says, it may be that God will be with me and we'll, we'll drive him out. I don't think he's expressing doubt there, but I think he's expressing humility. He recognizes that the Anakim are still formidable and he's going to need God's help to do this or it's not going to happen. But he's sure of victory because he's sure of God's presence with him. Caleb was still strong at 85, but I don't think he's really bragging about that either because he knew the Lord had kept him strong. He knew this was a gift from God. But what about when Caleb says, I wholly followed the Lord, I fully followed. Again, I don't think he's bragging, but I think he's just saying, hey, I wasn't swayed by the power of the enemy. I wasn't swayed by the other people's fear around me. I never lowered my standards. I continued to trust God. So we also see Caleb's faith and works in his hunger. His hunger. Notice what he asked for. He says, give me the hill country. The King James says, mountain. He didn't say, give me, give me a nice flat piece of ground where I can lay out a, a nine-hole golf course so I, can, so I can play in my retirement. He didn't say, give me some coastal land where, where I can sit on the beach and spend my retirement. He didn't ask for a place that had already been taken that would be easy. Think about this guy. He's been one of two of the faithful spies. He's gone through the wilderness He's fought the battles to take the promised land. I mean, this guy has quite a resume. If anybody could say, hey, you know what? I've done my time. It's time for the younger folks to take over. If anybody could say that, it was him. But he didn't. He didn't say, I've done enough. I've done my part. I'm going to take it easy now. He didn't say, how little can I get by with here? What's the least I can do? He was looking for the next thing to do. His attitude was, what else can I do? Not just to do something, not just to do something dangerous or difficult just for the, for the sake of doing it, but to continue to follow the Lord. His goal was not, how can I rest from labor? His goal was, how can I continue to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? Are you looking for how you might trust God? How you might trust Him more, whether you're 25 or 45 or 85? Or have you relaxed? Have you kind of put it in cruise control? You know, as God's people, our goal should be to follow the Lord wholeheartedly as long as we live. And while, we, while we trust God, we see that while he works, we have a responsibility as well. The next point there is we see trusting God as success. We see trusting God as success. We have to be careful when we're following the Lord about placing too much emphasis on results. I mean, but if I follow the Lord, if I trust him, everything's going to go well with me, right? We all shake our heads, no. But, you know, even when we know better, that can still be a battle in our minds and our hearts. I've trusted him, I've followed him. Why, 
Why isn't this working out? Caleb trusts God here regardless. He trusts in a promise that God made to him. Not something he just wanted or something he dreamed up. He trusted in a particular promise of God. And we can do the same thing today. You know, but there's a difference in where we place our faith or trust. Some say, and I've heard this many times, I'm just believing for this. I'm just believing for that. That's fine, but if there's no promise from God, you really are just believing. There's no, there's no guarantee. You can't just decide something you want and say, I'm just believing for it, and it's going to happen. It's not like that. It doesn't work that way. And thank God it doesn't. Gosh, if I got everything I wanted, I would be in such a mess. Who knows? We have to trust in the promises of God, and that is success. And Caleb saw it that way. He saw trusting God as success, and we should too. But there's some all those here you might notice on your, on your notes. Although it may result first in persecution. Caleb's trust in the Lord as a spy got him the reward of being threatened to be stoned to death by the rest of the people. It says all the congregation said to stone him with stones. Wow. Thanks for that affirmation, guys. Maybe people were saying ugly things to him, to his family. Faith and trust, like Caleb's, may not always be well-received. You know, the Apostle Paul faced persecution. In 2 Corinthians 11, it's, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's tough stuff. But when we see trusting God as success, we're better able to endure persecution. Honestly, I don't know anything about persecution. Persecution is very foreign to most of us. But let's face it too, it's looking like a little more of a possibility these days, isn't it, in America? Will I trust God if I'm persecuted because I'm wholly following him? It may be a decision we need to make now. We see trusting God as success also, although it may result in suffering. Even though Joshua and Caleb did the right thing, they trusted God when all the other spies didn't, guess what? they still got to wander in the wilderness for 40 years with everybody else. They had, to, they had to wander for 40 years. They were ready to go in the promised land with many who didn't trust God. And so they had to wander and see many people, probably friends, die before they got there. They had to listen to people criticize and oppose Moses, the leader that God had placed over them. And back to Paul's ministry in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, in, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, 
often without food, in cold and exposure. Sometimes trusting God results in suffering. Final point here. So we see trusting God as success, although it may result in anonymity. Anonymity. Do not look that up on your phones. Just do the best you can to spell it, okay? (laughs) Caleb sort of lived in Joshua's shadow, didn't he? Since they've entered the promised land, but he supported and served Joshua as God's appointed leader. Of course, if you want to know more about Caleb, just turn in your Bibles to the book of Caleb. And I can testify that I was watching Brian. He never flinched. He never even thought about looking for the book of Caleb. Right? But obviously there is no book named for him in the Bible like there is Joshua. In fact, Caleb is only mentioned about 30 times in Scripture. Joshua, 190. So he and Joshua both trusted God. They both went against the majority to do it. Joshua gets all the notoriety, all the praise, all the fame, and Caleb is kind of barely mentioned. But if you see trusting God as success, if your goal is to wholly follow him, then you don't need the fame, you don't need the recognition, you don't need the the reward like that. Think of the centurion who came to Jesus to heal his servant. He says, Jesus, you don't even need to go to my home. If you just say the word, he'll be healed. And what did Jesus say? He says, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What was that centurion's name? We don't know, do we? What about the widow who gave all that she had to live on? What was her name? We don't know, do we? Serving humbly in anonymity. That's how it goes sometimes when we continue to trust God. You know, it's a great privilege for me to work here and see the volunteers who spend hours, some countless hours, uh, serving, doing things around here behind the scenes that nobody, none of you, or hardly any of you, will ever see. You don't know that something got done. It just was done. You never noticed because you weren't here. Many of you serve the Lord in various ways and don't get recognized. Nobody ever comes into my office and says, hey, you know, I did this today here here at the church. Can you put a note in the bulletin thanking me for, for that? Nobody ever does that. Because they're not worried about it. Many of you do things in your neighborhoods, in your community, serving the Lord in various ways with little to no recognition. Very few pats on the back. And so we trust God and follow Him wholeheartedly, even in anonymity. Or even if it brings persecution or suffering. Or maybe even all three. All right, the next point there, we see the circumstances of life in relation to God's greatness. To God's greatness. Caleb seemed to see things in light of who God is. 
Not that he didn't see the circumstances around him. Not that he didn't see them accurately. But he also saw God accurately. And so even whatever disappointments, whatever struggles, whatever troubles he had, he didn't let those things affect how he viewed God. He continued to trust God despite what he saw. What did the ten spies see 45 years before? They saw problems. They saw giants. They didn't seem to factor God in at all. They saw themselves in relation to their enemies instead of seeing their enemies in relation to God. All the 12 spies are listed there in Numbers 13. But only two of them will be remembered as those who trusted God. The other 10 remembered for not trusting God. The decisions we make to trust God or not matter. They do matter. When we walk by faith or not, it matters. Let's look at a few of the circumstances that Caleb faces here. He saw first his age, his age through eyes of faith. He knew God could still use him regardless of his age. Moses didn't really even begin his ministry till he was 80. And we shouldn't decline in fruitfulness as we age. We may decline in things we can do physically, but God can still use us no matter our age because he is almighty. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He is sovereign. And so our age shouldn't keep us from serving the Lord. Caleb also was not deterred by the actions of others. That's your next blank there, the actions of others. He was willing to oppose the ten spies and the majority of people 40-plus years ago. He probably lost friendships, but he knew his greater allegiance was to his great God. Last, Caleb saw his circumstances in relation to God's greatness while he was anticipating, anticipating. You know, sometimes we demonstrate our spiritual strength by waiting. Waiting for God to do what he promised. Even when it's not in my time frame or in my way. We trust that God is good and does good. That his ways are higher than ours. Abraham waited for 25 years for his promised son. And that waiting started when he was 75. David waited for years to become the king after he was anointed. We see that God keeps his promises first in the short term. In the short term. Even after arriving in the promised land, it still, they still had to wait about five years. And then how did Caleb know that God would help him conquer this new land that he asked for? Did he have a lightning bolt? Did, some, did he just dream this up? No, God had told him, told the people to drive out all these people. And Caleb was just crazy enough to believe that God would help him do what God wanted done. 
God also, of course, keeps promises in the long term. It took 45 years, but God fulfilled his promise to Caleb. And we know that Caleb was successful in defeating, driving out the Anakim. So Caleb saw his circumstances in relation to God, and he trusted God. Do we see our circumstances, whatever they may be this morning, in relation to God? Or do we just see ourselves in relation to our circumstances? Final thing here, we see the inheritance God has promised as certain. We see the inheritance God has promised as certain. Caleb had faith that God would fulfill his promise of land to him. How was that, how was that promise kept? It was kept through Joshua. Joshua granted Caleb the land that he asked for. So the promise was fulfilled through Joshua. In the same way, those who put their trust in Jesus for salvation from sin have a promised inheritance from God, eternal life. The promised eternal life is fulfilled through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection. Now, like Caleb, we have to wait, but we know that it's certain. Have you trusted in Christ for salvation from sin? Have you acknowledged your sin and your need for a Savior and placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation from sin? You know, when we do that, when we trust in him like that, then the inheritance of eternal life will be ours. But if we're trusting in our goodness, or if we're trusting in our betterness than someone else, we're missing it. We trust in Christ because he lived the perfect life that none of us can. And so we know eternal life is certain because God is trustworthy. So we follow him wholeheartedly. I want to close with a story about a guy named William Borden. William Borden was born in 1887 to a very wealthy Borden family, the Borden Dairy family. He trusted in Christ for salvation from sin as a young man. He graduated from high school at 16. And because he was wealthy, his parents gifted him with a trip around the world. While he was on that trip, he developed a great desire to be a missionary. Because he saw people groups all over the world that had no gospel witness. No one telling them that there was hope in Christ. He returned to the States and he attended Yale University where he did very well in academics. He excelled in sports. He was kind of a natural leader. And of course, with his wealthy family, their connections, this guy could have done anything. At the very least, he could have had an easy life. But he stayed committed to becoming a missionary. And so he went to seminary, and after graduation, he became aware of a particular people group in China, a group of 10 million Muslims who had no gospel witness at all. It was a very tough place to get to, and a difficult people group to reach, but he was committed to do it. He left the U.S. in 1912, in December of 1912, at the age of 25. 
Just a few months later, on March 21st, though, he got sick. He got spinal meningitis. And 19 days later, on April 9th, he passed away. But his Bible was returned to his family after his death. And he had written inside there certain dates and certain things. One of the things he had written was when he, when he be, decided to become a missionary, he wrote in there, no reserves. He was going to leave the, the cushy life, not going to take over the family business, and he was going to go, no reserves. Later on, he wrote, no retreat. And during the illness that would take his life, he wrote, no regrets. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. That's the way William Borden lived. It reminded me of Caleb. Following the Lord wholeheartedly because he is trustworthy. Despite things not turning out the way we want or the way we plan. What about us? Do we trust God in that way? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are trustworthy, so we follow you. Lord, we can say with Job, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Lord, help us to walk by, by faith through the circumstances of life. Some may be crying out today, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, help us. Come alongside us. May we make it our goal to please you. May we not desire to rest from labor, but to wholly follow you. In Christ's name.